Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Unless it takes too much time. No, okay, here we go, here we go. What do we what do we got here? I think this guy went. Oh. And it was I'm gonna think it's six or five films again. Oh, I, I can't remember. Much. Six is too many films oh, that could for be. a horror film. So Five they did. Oh, that's right. They did Reanimator, Eyes Without a Face. It looks like they also did Just Before Dawn, which I've never heard of. Carrie, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, um, might have been one that they played. Um, trial on Horathon number five. Did they play six? Let me double check. I know this is very important and prevalent to the episode. And the sixth one was The Brain from 1988. That sounds like a pretty good. Sounds yeah, better than ours. It does sound better. Well, I've been to a couple. Uh, it sounds yeah, better than well, one of the ones I've been to. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have yeah. loved to see Reanimator. Um, yeah, at, yeah. At the trial one. That's true. Uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is supposed to be pretty good too, right? Wasn't John? Hadn't he been looking for that one for a while? Or am I thinking of something else? Uh, uh, you might like be thinking te- made that, for television film. Oh, really? You might be thinking of the oh, of cool. the Goosebumps yeah. book, um, <laughs> the, the the Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. Um, yeah, that's probably what I was Dark thinking. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow has great reviews from my friends on Letterboxd. Yeah, I've heard it's good. Hmm. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah. Hmm. All right. Hmm. We're not talking anyway, about. Oh God, Jason's been you recording. Think, it's my podcast. Oh, and I get to choose when we start. Do you think people uh, yeah. abbreviated as Dnots? Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Probably. That's what I would do. The, the D-Nuts. Um, D-Nuts. watch. D-Nuts. Peanuts. You could go Donuts. You could sure. go D-Nuts. A lot of mileage on this bit, Jason. A lot of mileage keep, on keep this Keep it going. Bit. Yeah, yeah. No, let's just do this well, I had to, I had to announce my triumphant return comedy. to the podcast <laughs> after seven whole days away. Uh, thank yeah, you very much, right. everybody, for listening to Trial Up. It's a little roundtable podcast where little, little, roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trial on Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trial Up Podcast. You can find the Trial on at Trial on Cinema and at Trial on.org where you can get tickets and showings and other cool ways to support the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Jason Daphnis. I'm just a podcaster. Uh, I know I talk a lot and I'm given to flights of the imagination, but there's no need to be afraid of me. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Just because I'm on a podcast doesn't make me a podcaster. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, that was literally the one I was going to do, Cody. Uh, well done. And I would just like to say it's all downhill from here, Harry. I'm Harry. You can find me on Twitter at Chitake Harry. Uh, and my name is Aaron, but you can call me Quentin Tarantino because I like the movie Road Games and Feet. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at RB, please. <laughs> and that's the episode. That is the episode. Thank you yep. very much for listening. Uh, so today's movie played as part of the Scream Queen series of the Trilon featuring uh, several movies with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in a leading role. Um, this is, I think this is, is going to mark the end of it. This and Prom Night both played this weekend, um, marking the end of it. Uh, by the time you hear this, I think will, Halloween will have been over. Hopefully you went to see Haosu. Um, but hey, this was a fun movie to cover. So I'll let Aaron actually take it away with uh, introducing the movie, etc. Yes, we are talking about road games. 
Oh my God, please give me your psychic energy to get through this summary with a cold. Thank you. Uh, we were talking about Road Games, 1981 film directed by Richard Franklin. Uh, stars Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Keach plays Patrick Quid, uh, like the form of money, an American truck driver in Australia who is given the assignment of delivering a truckload of pork to Perth, uh, where a union strike has stopped meat production in the region. Uh, Quid plays games on the road, you might say road games, uh, to pass the time and also spends time with his cute little pet dingo. Uh, reports of the reports on the news speak about a serial killer who's been traveling all over the country, killing young women, mostly hitchhikers. Uh, Quid himself picks up a number of hitchhikers, including Pamela, uh, also known uh, kind of colloquially as Hitch, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. The two become interested in the identity of the serial killer, and their interest is given uh, is especially driven by a number of sightings by Quid of the man uh, he sees kind of consistently in a green van. Uh, the man's suspicious activity each time uh, that he has seen fuels the two's speculation that he may indeed be the killer. Uh, the film was very clearly inspired by the works of Hitchcock. Uh, both the writer of the film, Everett DeRoach, and uh, director Richard Franklin wanted to make a film very similar to Rear Window. Uh, the film was an Australian production, uh, uh, despite, obviously, a lot of kind of uh, American uh, actors and other elements of the film that were kind of contentious at the time. Um, and it was, uh, at the time, the most expensive Australian film with a budget of uh, $1.75 million. Um, the film wasn't successful at all on release, but did lead uh, to Richard Franklin being chosen to direct Trilove, favorite film. Who can guess? I looked up the Wikipedia, so I know the oh, answer to this we'll question. We'll just say it then. Uh, it's Psycho 2. It's Psycho 2, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Uh, fun little kind of road trip uh, trucking uh, horror thriller yeah. slasher maybe film. Uh, Jason, take it's, it away. It's a little bit comedic. I actually, I really, really like this movie. The closer you get to uh, the 70s with horror movies, the the better, the closer I get to liking them because they just felt like weirder and more experimental and stranger. This was 1981, so it was just on the cusp, I guess, just on that like changing period between um, being really strange and out there at, at times like psychotic, this movie, and like being very still story plot focused, like there's a narr- there's like a clear through line here um, that keeps and like it never uh, like hangs around too long. No scene goes on too long. Nothing, nothing feels like we're just spending time to spend time as like a lot of 70s movies could do, which I love. But it, you know, it can make the genre feel a little bit slow at times this didn't have that every scene is like like a little uh, hitchcock movie in itself from like the first couple of scenes with the introduction of the guitar uh string uh, the murder and the uh, even like the follow-up scene where he's watching the guy where the guy is watching him out of the um uh, uh from from behind the curtains in his apartment and like it's broad daylight more it, i don't know it was just a really like every scene sings on its own and all of these characters come back at some point in a very like Hitchcock fun way, but in a sort of like, like you said, they, they studied rope or sorry, not rope uh, rear window to like make this almost as like a spin on that. It's comedic at times. I was like enamored with this movie. And I got to say, um, what was his name? The, uh, the guy, the guy who actually plays Jones or Smith or whatever they call in a call him throughout the movie. Um, he is, uh, his name is Grant Page, and he actually appeared in two other movies that played at the trial on this year, being Stunt Rock and The Man from Hong Kong. Uh, I caught those both with former guests, uh, uh, Abby and Natalie, and those were both really fun movies, and he is just wild in those two. He's more, more of a stunt man in those. Um, 
bigger role. But King of the Trilon, twenty twenty two, perhaps he could be. Could be a stealth, I, a stealth, uh, sure. a dark horse, <laughs> dark horse. Uh, Stuntmen don't get uh, don't get right. to do, and we we can be the ones to change that eventually. The you know. Uh, the Oscars will uh, follow suit, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. finally give them what they deserve. Well, if we put together enough of a campaign, yeah, uh, Minneapolis will be the starting point, just the flashpoint for that. Um, the spark. I, I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie because playing as part of like a series of horror movies and slasher movies and Scream Queen type movies at the Trilon around Halloween, I assumed it was going to be more straightforward, less goofy and comedic at times, less uh, interesting in a lot of ways. But I want to hear what the rest of the crew has to say about road games. Sure, uh, I can go next. I think um, I I really l- was deeply charmed by this movie um, to the point where uh, I think I forgive the fact that it doesn't make an actual a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think that the plot, especially around the back half, falls apart kind of hard. Uh, at least it did for me. Um, but I was so on board and so like ready to go by that point. Um, Stacy Keach is just like so compelling. As this character quid, um, I think we all talked about it. The opening scene before the cold open, even before we see the the title drop, um, is like so wildly effective at establishing his characterization and making him this charming guy that you just want to follow through the movie. Um, I almost think Stacy Keach might be a little too charismatic for this role. It's like almost a little bit of the Wong Kar Wai in the mood for love slash um, Vertigo Jimmy Stewart problem where like I think a big part of this movie is supposed to rest on the idea that like Quid might be kind of an unreliable narrator. And like I was never under any suspicion that he was not on the level because he's just too charming, I guess, and charismatic. Um, I think, I think that, like I said, I, I don't want to come off as mixed to me. This is like a perfect, like three and a half and a like movie. I think, um, I think that there were just some parts, like the fact that all of the, uh, road characters kept appearing was fun until it happened that last time. And they were all just like in the random alleyway, just showing they, up at the very end. Yeah, where they I, ended like up. And I was like, what's going on? And like, I didn't understand, like, I know that, that the entire point of this, this road game character was to be sort of, like, mysterious and sort of, like, sinister, but, like, his plan didn't actually make a lick of sense. Um, he really, like, screwed himself over hardcore at the end. Uh, I kind of thought he was, like, trying to frame Quid, and then he just kind of drops that and tries to murder Quid. Um, I like Jamie Lee Curtis's character a lot, and they fridge her for, like, almost the entire movie, like, immediately after introducing her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, there are some things that this movie does that are astonishingly effective, I thought. Like, the fact that we never break from Quid's POV, the fact that we're given so little information to go off of, like... To the point where, for a lot of this movie, you kind of wonder if it really is all in his head, right? It's like, oh, okay, he he saw a dude do some weird shit watching garbage men take the garbage out. And then he heard about this stuff on the radio. And now he keeps seeing this guy everywhere he goes. And he's sort of like getting himself into this like paranoid headspace. And as all of these sort of um, paranoias accrue, uh, were taken on that journey with him. I really liked that. Um, I just kind of wish that the movie ended up in um, like a more uh, cogent space by the end. Um, I kind of really thought something dark was going to happen, like the the murderer was going to get away with it. They kind of try to drop that again with the the very ending. Um, it that didn't really work for me either. But like, I I sound critical, but I 
really, really genuinely had a great time. You didn't time. like the head falling in the bucket? Hey, Hold on. Good. Defend yourself, sir, right now. What do you, I, that's a great stinger to go out on. I think that um, the rest of the movie like had a really fun, like what really happened subtlety to it that, that is sort of like undermined by that a little bit. But maybe I'm just no fun. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I was just going to say we should get into talking about um, Quid's headspace eventually. But for right now, I think I, I, think I want to, again reasserting my fascistic control over the podcast as i've always expressed in ev- all 189 episodes to date tell us what's 198 can you imagine uh, i want to i want to see if i can sort of pass the fascies to over to cody and see what he thinks <laughs> of the rest of the movie what a fascist that, like the, the bundle is not that the bundle or the uh, two sticks no uh i don't all i know is hey look at me this. i'm the fascist now um <laughs> yeah, i yeah the, um where to even begin i had a lot of fun watching this movie uh i like it more and more the more i think about it i liked it the more that i watched it uh at the trilon um and th- one thing that sort of that i had a hard time articulating to myself in my brain as i was watching it that's starting to make a little more sense now um as i hear what y'all think about it is it, it feels the experience of watching this movie it, it felt less about this being like a good film or like a like a successful film and more about it being good at being a film like the types of sequences that i liked the most um or even that just like stood out to me the most um and like for as as um as like con- like overly conscious and like you know on the nose as they might be like the sort of i spy game in the car pointing um quid and his uh annoying uh, hitchhiker passenger to the guy burying uh, a body on the side of the road just like that little just like oh like like look at this look at this look at that guy burying the thing just like that sort of um again not so subtle um device or like the the car alarm playing at that truck stop as a sort of overture to to that bathroom scene um of just like hey this this guy hey this guy's got balls and he's got um an alarm on his car that's that's going off and it's just gonna play as as like the diegetic sound for for this entire scene and just like put you on edge very obviously and and pretty egregiously um that's the kind of shit that this that i i think was already like prone to liking but this movie like trained and coaxed me a little more into liking that sort of stuff um a little bit more again with this specific experience the the sort of um uh quid being tired on the road and forming some bits of like the visual language and uh feeding into the need for him to anchor so many scenes where it's just him and his dingo by himself and with him being such an enigmatic performer um i thought that was a really nice flavor um you know a a flavor addition to that and then the the sort of idea of this being an open road like you know they're playing games on the road the wide open road going all across um the land the entire what fucking continent um and then the idea of just everything being funneled into this tight little space where the dude is right directly in front of him so that was just yeah like i don't just like a visual um metaphor it's like uh, it's like that, a rush hour really set piece yeah like it, it yeah. does not really fit in this genre and it works but it, that's that's what i love yeah. about it so right much. it was a mishmash of a lot of things that i think worked like super well for me yeah. um same for you aaron yeah I'll just that's, that's me handing off the, the fasties yeah all right I, i'll 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 just kind of uh jump off of i guess a, a bunch of points that people have made i i also i think really uh really enjoyed this film um kind of more than I thought I would. I mean, I think at first it kind of seems like a, I don't know if, has anybody seen Duel 
the, the no, but that's what I thought this um, movie was before I watched it. Was I yeah, it was I mean, cool. it, it kind of is too in a lot of ways. I mean, a point that that Harry made is that he he didn't dig how how charismatic uh, Keech was. Um, oh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say role. that. I would well, say that not that you didn't. Works. Dig it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, um, I, I I guess I can see that, but I, I kind of disagree. I, I think that you you need someone that kind of. Uh, Ruggedly endearing, maybe, um, given just how much of the time it, it, you can just say ugly. Like he's, it's the seven, it's the eighties. No, he's he's a Dude, he's, he's a hot boy. What are you talking about? What? Yeah, know. I don't know. He looks like Michael Ironside. Who's, who's uh, like he's got he's you're, got a you're jealous as another mustache, yeah, no beard guy. You're just uh, jealous that, that uh, I think he looks good. He's walking around with his tucked in button up shirt, and you're like, oh, why can't I be him? Yeah, I would bit. never be able to pick up Jamie Lee Curtis on the side of the road. Probably not. Yeah. Um, yes, I really dug Keech. Uh, I love his little relationship with his Diggo. Um, I think that Franklin, in general, as a director, is like, I don't know, I've only seen this and uh, a Psycho 2. I know that his, his kind of most, I think his most like generally famous film is like Patrick, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is, is quite good um, and maybe kind of similar. I think he is, he, he is, for me, kind of earning this reputation as this, like, yeah, like kind of like a, a very clearly Hitchcock inspired, but like making films that should be kind of like two stars. You catch them on TV when you're visiting your parents for the weekend and you're like, I guess I'm just watching this because uh, I have literally nothing else to do. Um, and then like, oh, that was actually surprisingly well written, right? Like this should be a two star movie. And this is a, I think, quite a bit better than that uh, a film. And I'm, I don't I just really dug it. There are a lot of smart elements that. I think in a weaker film wouldn't be there. I think the stuff about the the weight of the truck uh, with these two very clearly uh, women's bodies kind of cut up in the back. Like, I think that that all is is very intelligent. I do think I agree a little bit with Harry that maybe there is a cohesive whole that's not quite there. But, like, all of the elements are, like, just enough to kind of push it past. It's just so fun. It, it yes. really is. It's it's just like it. It's one of those movies where I think um, Cody, you had said something, and I'll pass it. I'll pass the uh, the fascies to you in just a second, Jason. But um, it's like it's so much more about just having fun and like being a good movie than it is about being like a. I don't know. And and there's something very even Hitchcockian about that, right? Where like a lot of those Hitchcock plots don't really hang when you examine them under a great deal of scrutiny, but like you can't really argue with the effect that they had on you at the time. And that's how I felt about a lot of this movie too. I don't know. I I see the obviously like I see the fun in it. it it's like at a very base level it's very fun to watch. It moves quickly. It's got a lot of jokes. It's got a lot of like bits and recurring like it's very easy to follow, very easy well, for the most part easy to follow. There are a couple of moments where it almost bucked me. Um but it like ultimately it ignores that in service of just kind of having a good time with with the premise. Um and yet feels like there was some more thought put into it, I guess for like I think I think the reason that the bad guy's motivations didn't stick with you so much, Harry, or like why he was acting the way he was or like how it ends up the way it does is for me, I, I saw it as more like almost a character study of Stacy Keach of quid uh, where like it's everybody's obviously he's the main character in relation to him. Uh, most of these characters sort of bounce in and out of his life. Literally, uh, they just rubber band from like the road back to him. Uh, and the way that it sets that up, the way that it frames that I think is really smart because uh, Cody, we're talking about how the setup is. Um, is him just kind of cracking wise on the road about all these other cars, all these other lives that, that are being lived around him. And like the very trucker mindset of 
you love him, you leave him, you see him, you'll never see him again. The big wide world, the big wide open road, never going to meet anybody again. And then just like happens to be in this cosmically comedic sense that every single person that he comments on ends up back some some integral part of the plot, which I personally really liked. It felt like a fun way to like bookend the movie in a lot of ways, but it also puts us like in this, I think Harry, you brought up Quid's headspace. Um, it puts us like there with respect to like his, his internal monologue is what I assumed he was doing there. Like every stream of conscious thought appears and he just says it. he says Benny balls when he sees a car full of balls. Like what, what the fuck does that mean? Like, that's just something that you never admit to ever saying in front of anybody. Cause it's the kind of shit you say when you live alone, you know, or like the weird noises you make. So I felt like I was getting really close to the character in that respect. Uh, the sneezy writer thing, the, the accountant thing, like just very funny. He ends up being right about all of that. Um, and they end up coming back to either bite him or help him or just move the plot forward. But those moments had a little bit more meaning a little bit more heft later on in the movie when he starts to uh, actually talk to himself. Like, I think it's the scene where he's um, he's realizing that there's more meat in the truck than he remembers, like as far as counts of cuts. Uh, and I, one specific line was um, he's like speaks out loud the phrase Sam threw in a couple extras by mistake. And then the voiceover says Sam doesn't make Sam mistakes. doesn't make mistakes. Exactly. Yeah, when he's arguing with himself, it, that's so, so good. good. And it's like they yeah, don't have maybe one other scene that happens in, but it's not as clearly like he's losing his mind. But that that told me like all that shit that he was doing before was like his role as a trucker, his performance, his persona as this thing coming through externally. Like he's speaking these things out loud, but his thoughts are sort of a parallel track parallel. Like he still has a version of himself underneath of that. Right. Which is, I guess why he keeps saying that he's not a trucker, just he drives trucks, all this like way that he identifies. That's a really good line that I want to come back to, but yes. Yeah, it's, exactly. It, 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 like it sang for me when that started happening because I'm like, Oh, what was he doing before then? He was performing for somebody, even if it's just for himself or for his dog, he was thinking about this thing that he's doing and saying differently than he actually like immediately reacts to a situation, which is the, again, later in that scene where he's doubting himself about the count of meat, he's starting to like his consciousness, his, his like whatever driving force, like his moral center or whatever is telling him like, ah, you're, you're trying to convince yourself that nothing's wrong, but something's wrong. Like survival instinct starts to kick in that for some reason felt really important to me in like at that point in the movie. And it made me recontextualize how we had even gotten to know quit in the first place. Um, but I want to, I guess I should hand off the fascist to, I think Aaron's hand was up first. Catch yeah, it, I'll say two things quick. Given given uh, given how his hallucination and hallucinations and his kind of I don't know tired state of mind uh, kind of contribute to him kind of missing a, a bunch of obvious stuff. There is a strong point to be made that this film is saying that all of this could have been avoided if he did gas station speed. Yes, you know if he yes. had just bought I, a he, few he himself weird says pills. As much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and it's probably right. I will also say, speaking uh, quickly as. Uh, I would say, and I've not been officially crowned this, but as Trilove's official Australian correspondent, uh, as the only person who has family members that are Australian, I've been to Australia, I do think that there is, uh, despite the aspect of this film, uh, and that obviously Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis are not Australian, um, it was kind of a big deal when they were cast. Uh, a bunch of uh, kind of the elements of the film industry in Australia were quite pissed, specifically about Jamie Lee Curtis as this kind of famous uh, kind of slasher, uh, you know, scream queen uh, actress being brought over to be in this film, taking the job away from uh, an Australian woman who could have done it. Um, there is a within the, the element we talked about, uh, about the community of people who keep seeing each other 
who drive down the road, they see somebody parked. Later on, they park, they see the person pass them. There is a, it feels distinctly Australian uh, element to me uh, of that, and that Australia is uh, uh, most comparable to maybe Alaska here in the United States, and that it is a very, very large stretch of land, often very empty um, in between kind of larger urban centers um, that is mainly populated by like a handful of roads, if that, right? Um, I mean, I, I drove a little bit around Australia when I was there and it is, you are on one road for dozens, hundreds of miles, right? And you do have that experience of seeing the same car over and over again, passing a car and then you see them at a, a truck stop or a gas station. Um, that kind of like the element of the, this kind of community that's built up uh, uh, wordlessly, right, uh, in between kind of these places of rest um, is something that I, I do think is quite interesting. And I don't think you really get it in the United States as the United States is a uh, even more than Australia uh, kind of car and highway centric uh, hellhole. Uh, in which there are so many roads, there are so many ways to branch off to get to your destination. Um, And that element I find kind of fascinating, even if I cannot defend the final scene where they all just show up uh, randomly. But like, there is something really fascinating about that, I think, about just seeing the same people over and over and over again. I think that Jason's exactly right, that it's actually very important to the theme of the movie, right? It's like, there is, we, we meet this guy quitted at the beginning, he's profoundly alienated from everything, right? Like he lives by night, literally, he is a trucker, he moves from place to place, he doesn't let a lot of people into his life, he is cynical about the idea of relationships and about the idea of community, right? He uh, is sort of like a smart, smart ass, a little bit smarmy with the dispatcher and the dispatcher is like, ugh, like not having any of it um and this is a movie about him sort of like finding his reason back to being in part of a a community or right or like realizing that even as somebody who's sort of on the periphery uh he has some skin in the game literally and figuratively um that's what jamie lee curtis represents right like she's the guy Hmm. the woman who's trying to like involve him in this she's like you told me this story we're going to do something about it right like we're going to get involved because we have to get involved and he's the reluctant hero at that point right he's the guy who's like no like i'm just i'm just trucking like i i don't need to get involved with this it's nothing but trouble for me um and that uh that like compulsive urge to detach uh and to alienate is actually a big reason why He can't see what's happening, right? Because he like almost immediately misogynistically begins to doubt that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Hitch slash Pamela, was really kidnapped. He thinks that she might be like in on it at some point with the, the murderer or something or that she is just like having fun with him there's there's a really weird sort of suspicion and and that's sort of the dark half of that community that we were talking about right and that's something that i found this movie did that was really effective is that it gives you just enough rope to hang yourself with right like i would even argue that like for most of the movie quid is quid's main enemy here almost more than the i mean the the road games are much more effective in quid's mind than the guy actually making them made them right it's like uh, because it's because he is sort of manipulating himself with his own sense of alienation, right? Because, like, he goes to the road stop and he tries to talk to the cops, and that's a really creepy scene because it feels like everybody in the road stop is just against him for no really clear reason, right? But he, like, he feels like he is on his own against the world. And, you know, he has, like, these encounters with these people on the road, and, and sometimes they're, like, 
strangely antagonistic, like in the, the, uh, case of the boatman um and so it's it's really interesting right like it it's a really interesting movie about how like you can you can see how quid sort of like became the outcast that he is um away from society and then we see him get pulled back into it right and there's something kind of humanizing and very communal about that which is you know i really like uh the repeated insistence on having those road characters continue to appear for the most part uh, for that reason, I think it's it's actually part and parcel with a big element of what this movie's doing. Agreed, and I love the points that uh, I guess all three of you guys have have brought up. And adding my own uh, commentary, I guess, to the discussion of like the the antagonist or like flavor of antagonism in this movie, I, especially towards the last act. I couldn't help but like I, I was straddling off a bunch of movies that this movie reminded me of. Um we already talked about a few of them, but like the the uh idea of the primary uh antagonist or like the person representing like the opposition, you know, in Quid's case it's you know, the, this guy in the green van that that he's chasing. Um there's something particularly frightening about antagonists who are uh, silent who eventually like they get more scary once you either give them a voice or you feel their presence in some way and like that's what the first couple ap- acts of road games are and you know thinking about you know so yeah this movie it's uh, a big open road and there are just like touch and go moments where he feels the effects of of this uh, guy who he get uh, who he gets the you know Jones or Smith or whomever who he gets to feel is is a pretty a pretty bad dude um and it, it gets that you know kind of more more recently Harry what you were talking about with that feeling of, of alienation it does feel like um whether it's real or perceived that the entire world is is against Quid uh, rear window uh, you have a guy who's stuck by his window he's looking out at a world that he can only see but not interact with and nobody believes him and it's again that sort of perceived like well it's it's me and nobody else um well it's me and grace kelly and my caretaker and um uh, thelma ritter i believe and, and nobody else but you get the idea um i thought of black christmas while watching this movie um again sort of not necessarily silent at uh antagonist but not one that we concretely see uh we we hear the voice in various moments i'm not going to talk too much about that movie y'all should watch that movie um and then listen to our episode about it um plug in the podcast self-promotion um but there are a lot of uh especially in our discussion about we talk about a lot of the sort of societal constructs that make it difficult for um a situation like this to play out favorably for our heroes um and it does in that sense it feels like the entire world versus just a small group of of people and honestly even thinking about scenes from all the president's men um where there's this like feeling of being followed you don't like the 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 enemy is just like the government um but there is not so much like there's oh um bill government is chasing me through this parking ramp um it's not anything like that but just this this feeling of paranoia that i think all of the these, um, I don't know, movies that do this well, that um, convey that that type of thing. And and in this particular case with road games, it, as corny as it is, having the, quote unquote, the entire world come through at the end and see the truth firsthand, um, there, it, it, there is something, again, corny, but just vindicating of like, aha, see, look, Quid was right the whole time. Now you all have to eat shit um and and the fact that he almost got away you know it it is it plays very for it's i don't know australian movie playing in that moment a a little bit uh ham-fistedly into like the hollywoodism of like it's like oh don't let him get away he's so close um but 
I don't know. I was about it. I, I had already invested, you know, hundred yeah. minutes into it. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm about that. Uh, yeah. Fun antagonist. Um, fun Jones or Smith or, or whomever. I'm mm-hmm. not fun what he was doing, but, um, I, I got a kick out of seeing him and not seeing him. Uh, a note on the ending. I, I like that. Like the whole movie is sort of balancing those two tones of like a little more lighthearted, a little more funny and weird and coincidental. And obviously the very gruesome grotesque acts that Jones or Smith is actually doing. And I think the ending is kind of like in as much as you can make both of those things part of one concrete ending. I think it does that. Like, again, the, the ending is such that like uh quid catches him, catches the bad guy uh, almost. He, he knocks him out. He almost kills him in return with, with the uh, guitar string go out. Uh, and then a crowd forms around him. It happens to be all of the people that he met on the road and local law enforcement and everything. And there's a crowd and it looks like, quid is doing the killing so the police sort of detain him against the wall uh and then at the same time but and it starts to be like everybody points at him and says oh these coincidences i saw that guy on the road and he like attacked me with his dog or he almost pushed me off a cliff and all these other things and so it looks like he's not going to get away like the or sorry that quid is not going to get away that the bad guy is going to walk away clean but then they pull jimmy lee curtis out of uh, jones jones or smith's van and she says of course it's that guy like who are you talking about like you jerk she says to the police like it's, it's that guy he's the one who kidnapped me so and, and then you know things end up okay and quid still is on the hook for hundreds of, th- hundreds of thousands of dollars in, pri- in private property damage but they do get away everything ends up okay but in that moment, it's like it flip flops for maybe like two, three minutes on whether what's actually going to happen with the ending and ends up, I think, in that sort of space you were here talking about here. I cannot argue that it's like a strangely dissonant moment because it's like, wait, you were leading me down one path for a second and then suddenly switch me to another path. And I'm just supposed to be comfortable with that new path. And like, there's no other complications. There's no twists. There's no like uh demarcation of like this is what we're saying about the end of the movie and it's like no not really yeah, all just, i mean we, have, just we sure are lucky crumble, that right? the, the guy who the only thing we know about him is that he kills young women uh did not kill this one young woman that he kidnapped uh even though that was the thing that he does well uh, and I, boy did that make it easy for her to just sort of disarm the entire end of the movie <laughs> i suppose and also like not to get too blue with it but I think they learned along the way from their suspicions and their their hypotheses that he was, in fact, content warning, raping them before killing them. So I guess maybe he was waiting for the time that he was deeming appropriate. That's a pretty good point, actually. Yeah, sure. Because that's her that's her big thing. Right. right. So it proves her right. We can't we can't completely. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't want to get too blue with it, but that doesn't actually really resolve the plot hole in my mind oh no Um, i mean like i said i think i think the ending does like crumble to an end but i like that moment of like hey you've seen what we've done for the entire movie this goofy bouncing goofy and and deadly dark and ending up in the like making me feel that too you know it doesn't make me feel like triumphant that we've really gotten one over on the bad guy it doesn't make me feel bad like a 70s movie where he gets away and the good guy is jailed forever because of like the things you couldn't fr- figure out about himself kind of thing, you know, like it that doesn't give me the conversation ending. and it doesn't give me the eighties action movie either. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I really like the surreal quality to that, right? The way that the, the movie like almost literally opens up, like the fourth wall crumbles and like literally the entire cast, like the end of a play is sitting there watching him. And it's like a referendum on his personality up to this point, right? Like we're about to see the judgment of quit. It's like, does this guy who like is a little rough around the edges, but well-meaning, like, do we believe him? Do we trust him? 
I think that's what the ending's going for, right? And I think that like it it utilizes the sort of trucker mythology super effectively to that point, right? Because there's a great deal of prejudice against truck drivers in this movie, right? The cops absolutely treat him like garbage because they're cops. Um, but everybody handles him with suspicion, right? Because he is this elder, like this outsider. He's sort of on the margins looking in. And I think that the what the ending is trying to do is sort of like, hey, like, do we do we accept these uh, these outsiders, right? Do we do we actually trust them? Like, do we trust their version of events? And I think that 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 bright ending is warranted, right? Where like all of a sudden it turns out that the the better angels of um, Australia's nature are actually on the side of this trucker, right? They are actually able to believe in him. Um, I just wish, you know, like I I'm just being equivocal, right? And but I found it so like. Again, I, I guess jarring that like what was the the dude's plan? Like he led this trucker down this alleyway. Was it just to get the trucker stuck so that he couldn't get out? And then like they have this fight, and then he's like he's like kind of smiling and getting away. And I'm like, oh shit! Like this is it? Like this was his plan all along was to like lure this cop into this choke point or this uh, trucker into this choke point to make him take the fall. That's why I put the bodies in the freezer. And then it's like, nah, Jamie Lee Curtis is just alive in his truck and can verify everything. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's it. Movie over. All of the sort of like menace and sinister quality just completely like evaporates into thin air. I feel. Which I didn't particularly mind. Yeah. This this is the, this is the age old, uh, uh, Jason, at least, is being dragged into the age-old Harry versus Aaron argument of, A, the ending of this movie kind of sucks. Yes, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I simply will not pay attention to that and will choose to remember that I three-fourths this film that I like quite a bit. Uh, because the ending, yeah, it's not... It is not as well-written as the rest of the film. Does this go... Is this, like, on the top tier of those... Uh, th- those um... Uh, battles between you and Harry. Is this? Do you think I'm trying to remember what the hear? last big one we. Had. I'm, you know what? Let me go to Sound that was across a, It was across 110th ding, ding. Street. Across 110th oh, Street. I thought there was, was another one. one recently, though. Although I that guess across recent. 110th Street was yeah. pretty recent. I'm gonna look through the. I'm gonna look through the. Do, do. Uh, you, you look yeah, through, through the, through the feed. While you're doing talking. that, I want to talk about something that I actually do find really interesting, which is the second act of this movie, where Quid is extremely weirdly paranoid and shitty about Jamie Lee Curtis off of very, very little evidence slash information. Um, I kind of found that really fascinating about his character, especially given the casual misogyny that's thrown in at the beginning of this, and how much like. Quid being like a a stag, right? Like a bachelor is important to his character. He like repeatedly sort of like sees married couples as suckers. He's like, oh, that poor guy, that poor married bastard, right? The the guy, the people who get married, he looks down on them. Um, And then this thing happens, right? Where he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, he screws up and Jamie Lee Curtis gets kidnapped. uh, And he almost immediately is like, oh, well, she was clearly like in cahoots with him. And they set me up for unclear reasons, right, or something. I let's talk about his headspace there. I don't. I don't. Maybe I missed it, but I I didn't get the. uh, Also, real quick, uh, the film was Girls of the Night. Was the film Uh. that we were? Yes, Girls of the Night. Oh Um, yeah, I was right about that too. Wrong, oh Harry. Uh, No, um, but 
I didn't get the feeling that he was... Did I miss some line of dialogue where he was I mean, saying that they were conspiring against him? Like, clearly, well, he thought that she was having sex with him. Yeah. Um, and there's clearly a lot of, like, sexual psychology wrapped up in that that I think is true to the character and, and feels coherent to me. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't think he's, like, a great... He's not, like, a perfect guy. He's generally no, no, a good yeah. guy, but... I, clearly has hang-ups around his age and, and younger this is the women. Thing, and, right? Is that I wish that we had explored more of that, I guess. Because like we we get to see Quid unraveling, right, in the sense that we have those two scenes where he's talking to himself. Clearly he's not in a great headspace. There's that amazing Hitchcock shot when he, he realizes that he's being set up by uh, Smith or Jones and the, the world darkens around him and, and we like, we like go in on his face. Um, there are some really great moments with like floating eyes that are very Hitchcockian. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of like taillights on the cars in front of him become these sort of like menacing eyes. It's so That's, good. It's all really good, but like, he doesn't actually unravel. Like, I don't actually think he was ever actually, like, in that weird a headspace. He, like, he never even really gaslights himself. He's mostly just, like, the the closest we come is that, like, when they are at that rest stop and he hears the newlywed couple having sex, he assumes that it's Jamie Lee Curtis um, and the maybe murderer. But at that point, I was like, does he still think that that guy's a murderer? Or do you, does he think that this yeah. was a prank? Okay, but, like, then... How are they not in cahoots? Like, if he thinks, oh, yeah, that guy's a murderer, and he and Jamie Lee Curtis are having sex after Jamie Lee Curtis talked I, to me all about he, this. this. This seems very... I don't, I don't know. I for, think you're missing... I, for, yeah, for, that, for so, me, I, th- I think what happened yeah, was, Jason, was when he when she, he noticed that she was gone from the uh, from the auto repair place after he gets out of the bathroom and the sneezy um, rider. I think what happened there was he thought the murderer got away with her. And he's going to follow her on the road and he's going to whatever. I think then he, when he hears, you know, sounds of pleasure in the woods and hears somebody's crying out for Harry, I think he then thinks, oh, Hitch ditched me for somebody else named Harry. Like, not no, the but murderer. there's a scene where he sees them together in the van and he says, oh, she doesn't really look like she's been kidnapped because yeah, they're riding side by side. She, she has like gotten a ride with him. He is a slightly younger, you know, not a not a trucker, but kind of in a similar position. She's a hitchhiker, and that he is one partially wrapped up in his own kind of fears around his aging and, and her being a younger woman. But also, he thinks that you know, oh, she's actually really enjoying this time with this person I've been building up as the serial killer. And uh, oh, wow, what a fucking what a fucking asshole! Um, I don't, I don't. It's not like they're conspiring. It's that he well, is like kind of upset that like she is, she is, uh, you know, having sex with her, enjoying the company of this person. I think that he the, has these similar hangups. The movie agrees with you, um, but they were so like she was prompting him to get into the murderer story back when they were together. You know what I mean? It's like it feels yeah. weird to me that he would immediately drop that. I guess and just be like, oh, I guess she was just like playing a prank on me. She was having some fun, and like now her like boyfriend picked her up or something. I don't think it's a prank. I think he's just upset that she is um, ostensibly having sex with a, a a man that she was just kind of talking up as this murderer a little while ago. Hmm. And you know what I mean? That just I don't think there's really, any sort of element of prank here. I don't think she's like, oh, he's going to listen into this. You know what I mean? I, I or, guess or it just like strains that. my credulity in any sense. I just do not see how Quid could have come to the conclusion that he comes to here. <laughs> it just like, I don't think it, I get, I get from a character perspective, but it feels really strange to me that he would be like, oh, like she dumped me for this murder. And the thing is like, he's like just jealous of that. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. It just doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really operate for me. 
Cody, you look confused, boy. Yeah. No, I no. I'm just processing everything and thinking about the frame. This next thing. Pick sides. I, I, well, I don't know. I'm coming at it from somewhere different. Somebody tell me what side of the spectrum I fall on. But I, when I was watching this, it this those scenes where Hitch got picked up and Quid is following them, and to I don't to me it like I didn't think as much of that more than oh this is Quid vocalizing his thoughts about just like whatever's going on because he has no other means of like he has no other means you know it's not not to just like rope in another film that is that i think we all like better than this one and is one of the best but like rear window like he doesn't have people coming into i mean he in this particular moment he doesn't have somebody other than a dog in his truck that he can like converse with and like talk through these things a little more rationally he's he has his inner monologue that he is both I can't remember offhand if there were narrations or not, but he's also just like saying the things that he's thinking and like not all of it is particularly rational. A lot of it I think is very pointedly all over the place. Um, and like that particular thread, I mean, it didn't make a ton of, I mean, I think it's clear it's not supposed to make sense to us yeah. to come across as like a rational thing. Like, she, well, I mean, like obviously like the person that she's with is a bad dude. And this is like him taking a moment to like explore an alternative, like with, because he's him by himself and he's paranoid and he's thinking about all, all sorts of random shit. It's like, Oh, what if she's conspiring against me? It did it, maybe in retrospect, it felt a little weird that they took maybe a couple minutes too long to settle on that. I think that hmm. maybe it, it misdirects sort of um, uh, a little bit, but I, mean, I, I guess I'm also, I'm, I'm also just, I don't know, it, seeing um, some early, not to invoke Romero for the millionth time, but just like watching some of his earlier works of like shitty dudes thinking like all sorts of random things and then juxtaposing that with what actually comes out on the surface, like what actions unfold, what are the things that he actually says to like, what are the rational things he says to, you know, uh, other people. I think that, um, I don't know, that duality was, was sort of interesting to me. And obviously quid goes a little bit off the edge and, and kind of goes, um, you know, off the rails, but I, I don't know. I'll, that that's sort of what I was kicking around. I'm I'm pro weird quid thoughts <laughs> question mark. We'll get it trending. Uh, I I I think that that quid's thoughts there, although I mean certainly a little misogynistic and and kind of ill conceived, are you know I I think that everybody can kind of slightly relate to just being a little bit by yourself too much, being in your own head about whatever the thing is you're thinking about. And then like the minute you talk to a single person, you're like about it. You're like, Oh yeah, no, I was no right. And that's thinking some dumb shit. That's a Um, huge, really great thing that this movie does. I just think it really, really biffs it there because I don't actually think quid gets that weird in this movie. I would like this movie more. If he really went off the deep end, the way that they're kind of suggesting using the hitching cock trappings that he does. My problem is that I don't really ever think he gets there. Like, honestly, I think that, like, what, we have two scenes where he sort of, like, talks to himself and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, he's been awake too long. Uh, And they, like, set it up that way. But, like, he never, I I guess if he articulated something as extreme as what I guess we've come to the conclusion, or, you know what I mean? Like, I I couldn't even follow his paranoid thinking at that point. And I I don't really think that the idea was that I wasn't supposed to. I just don't think that there was anything there to follow. Um, and I, I wish that, like, I think that for, for a movie that's supposed to be this sort of like psychological character study, I wanted a clearer through line into what he was thinking in those moments. Hmm. I, 
I guess the way that I was getting into, or rather that I like that I was penetrating his conscious, his, uh, his like his actual thought space was through one his like audible external monologue, and two all those like aphorisms and bon mots he has about himself, uh, like the "I'm not a truck driver" or "My dog's not a dingo" kind of thing, all sort of crumbling by the end of the movie. I don't know if this sparked any thoughts in anybody else, but like the dog ends up barking, even though he said he's a dingo, he doesn't bark. He's a silent dog. Dingoes do bark. I'm sick of it. I don't know why this film got away with that. Dingoes do bark. That I'm is not, I'm not going a ludicrous. I'm, listen, point. I know that you're the local, uh, Australian I'm the Australian, uh, you're not an Australian. <laughs> you are not Australian. And the guy who made this movie, is Australian, so I'm going to be okay. With How that. dare you? Hmm. How uh, dare you? That's, that's not a thing. Uh, and like, and I sort of mentally, once he started saying things about himself that sounded like myth- self mythology, I'm like, okay, so the movie's going to try and unwrap those at some point, crumble them, uh, bring them like shine a light on them and make them untrue somehow. Uh, and it, it sort of did that for me. Like with those two things in particular, the dog ends up barking right at the very end after the climax. Um, just because I don't drive a truck doesn't make me a truck driver. Uh, and then like the whole concept of, um, what is it? Uh, today's pigs or tomorrow's bacon kind of thing. Like that idea of this change of the self, this transformation of the self, I think that that's what it's parroting it. I think that's what it's trying to do. I think that's what it's saying that it's doing. I think, Harry, what you're saying is like maybe there's not a whole lot of marrow in that bone, but I see I see the bone. I still see like both endpoints of those ideas are these like things that they say about themselves, these like uh, ways that they like ways that they define themselves to the world and then how they actually are like the whole idea that hit that Pamela has like a nickname that he does not stop calling her, that she is like an heiress that, uh, you know, is on the lamb looking for excitement rather than living out the prescribed life that she, you know, was was set to live kind of thing. I don't know that it's like hugely original. I don't know that it's like very strongly executed here, but I think that among the very fun uh, like just watchable tone of the movie. I had, I enjoyed it. I, I liked that. It felt like a little cherry on top of the thing. Like it felt like, uh, like what other movies wouldn't try to do if it, they were just going straight slasher or thriller with it. Yeah. I, to, to respond a little bit to what Harry said, which I think are generally, you know, pretty, pretty good arguments. I, I guess I would say two things. First of all, I, I don't think this movie is sorcerer, right? I don't think it's really trying to be like, I, I think that it, it's understandable to kind of play up the aspect of like, why aren't there more hallucinations? Why aren't there more moments of, you know, mania or, you know, uh, kind of sleep deprivation coming through? Although there, there are a few and they're kind of sparse, right? I don't think it's really trying to do too much of that. I think the other thing is that, um, you know, we're, we're given Quid's kind of POV for most of this film, but I think the fact is that Quid is being paranoid, uh, for the vast majority of this film, it, it just turns out that that paranoia is correct, right? Like, he 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 really has no great reason to think that the man in the green van uh, is the murderer, right? Uh, the fact that he has a cooler in his car and he sees him kind of looking out the window of this hotel are, I think, you know... Uh, those are pr- those are pretty light kind of bits of circumstantial evidence, if even that, right? And so I think we're we're kind of supposed to be buying into like I think we know that like yeah that this guy is is the killer, right? But I think that we're also supposed to understand that that Quid is kind of um, for good reason uh, up in his head about uh, uh, kind of the I don't know the the kind of suspicions he has of this person who for for 
I think it is reasonable to, to in real life, kind of assume that that person would be just an innocent person as opposed to some the serial killer in this country that is as large as continental United States, right? Um, and that like, oh, I'm the guy who has found him uh, on this one road and I keep passing him. I, I think that kind of helps tie those elements together uh, a little bit. Yeah, I think that the problem is that you are describing it better than the movie does. Um, I don't like, I, I think I understand that that's what they're going for. To me, I was never under any doubt that the man in the green van was a ki- the killer. I don't think that the movie, like you'd said, the movie doesn't want the audience to. That's not really what this movie's doing, right? Because this is like the Quid redemption arc. We're never supposed to doubt Quid. We are supposed to welcome him back into the community, right? He is supposed to. It turns out that his dingo isn't a dingo. It's just a dog. It turns out he is a truck driver. He's just a good guy, right? Like that's that's the over-under on this. To me, that really like it it undermines a lot. I think that like back to the uh, original ending that we were discussing with the head in the um the truck. The reason why that didn't work for me is because to me, this movie is so much sharper if there is any sort of reasonable doubt. And I just don't think that there was any reasonable doubt. Uh, I just, I feel like this is just a story about a dude who was right. <laughs> and um, I, I think that like maybe if they had played up or if they had sort of admonished his, um, his weird feelings toward Jamie Lee Curtis a little bit more, or if they had left it a little bit op- more open-ended, or if they had sort of like delved more into where his paranoid suspicions were coming from, that would all like sell a little bit better. But to me, it's just like they, they don't actually get far enough to do the Hitchcock thing um, with the, his paranoia that I think that they're trying to do, I guess. Um, hmm. But your mileage may vary. Hey, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it is that I think I saw enough to be satisfied by it. You might not. It might, it might hang you there in that middle spot. Um, Speaking of, we'll just have to vote on it as a podcast. Majority wins folks. Who enjoyed this film. I'm voting for it. All right. Harry, you're outvoted. This is officially a good film. Hey, podcast. Thumbs uh, up. I love nuanced democracy. Conversations about. (laughs) Yes. I I will eventually have a, a sound effect for this, but I'm going to open up this the junk drawer. Maybe at episode 200, I have a, a good like squeaky, and then just let stuff rattling inside. I have a really squeaky one in my current apartment, so maybe then. But um, I'm going to open up the, uh, the 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 junk drawer real quick for uh, any lingering thoughts that we have. I I do have a couple of my own that I'll get off the top of my head. Um, there's a union dispute going on in the background of this movie. Uh, oh, and I think is Pat a scab? <laughs> Is he like the scab? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not technically by the the actual definition of scab, but yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think by the definition, I I took it down from the script because the radio says uh, that the United Meat Works Federation still sees no end in sight to the marathon strike, left most of West Australia without fresh supplies of meat. Uh, Union denied allegations that union strong arm tactics can be used against the United Metal Works accountants, Mr. Floyd Day, who is one of the guys in the car. The yeah. husband of, of Summer Day. Very funny. Very funny. Yes. Uh, although it is alleged that Mr. Day and his family have fled at interstate. I was just making sure that I was reading that correctly, that he's hearing these things and maybe just ignoring that he's a scab uh, for, for like the, for the, I don't know if he's a guy who cares too much about being right. a scab. He is man. just I mean, the guy in the truck. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, also I like the, once they get to that town where they were talking about where he starts to build this conspiracy in his head about everybody, like, 
I, I thought honestly the movie was going into a place where like, oh, Grant Page's character, Jones or Smith, actually has incredible influence and power. And he's like actually gotten the police to work against uh, Quid and like make everybody suspicious of him. It seems like that's just the po- portrait of like rural Australia that the movie is that the director wanted to paint, which is starkly like I think the first taste we get of it is in that scene where he's trying to get the police on the phone to like explain what's going on like give them information about the guy in the green van and the whole scene starts with like a 360 shot just from the center of this room and starts on a gigantic mural like apparently painted by local artists of uh you know local excuse me UK colonizing forces just murdering indigenous peoples uh and then goes to like the cowboy people and uh, like just the very quaint, uh, you know, downstairs at a hotel type vibe that this bar room has. Um, and I don't know, I, it was just like an interesting tone to strike in the middle of this movie. Like they wanted to somehow acknowledge that, yeah, this isn't this isn't a place that has welcomed outsiders, nor has it like been treated well, the local like actual indigenous people for ever. Um, also, it's very funny when the uh, when the cop says that uh what meat is hung men get hanged that is very good that is a good line yes those are my junk drawer thoughts anybody else wow um yeah i mean i i think that the the paranoia that it sets up in in moments like that is is really effective um and i think that like at my favorite parts of this movie it does exactly what you're suggesting jason which is that i was generating plots in my head kind of like quid was right where it was like okay what's going on like i figured out pretty early that i thought the killer was trying to set up quid by hiding bodies and meat but i was like okay like for what purpose is he doing that is jamie lee curtis in on it uh is everybody else on the road in on it what's happening with this right um i think that like I really like the open-ended sort of paranoia that this movie drives you into, I guess. Maybe that's why um, the uh, the ending doesn't work for me. Uh, I guess my only other shout-out is that weird scene when the, the cop decides it's a good idea to uh, crawl under the truck that they're trying to get their car out from under uh, so that they can see what's going on in front of the truck. And then of course he gets all tangled up in Chekhov's wires that were brought up in the, in an earlier scene. Uh, what the hell was going on with all of that? I mean, it, it was really effective in the sense that it kept like cutting between all of the different action that was occurring, right? Like the, the cop car was trying to get out of the back of the truck. The cop was trying to get out from under the truck. Uh, Quinn and uh, Smith or Jones were grappling in the front of the truck. But I was like, this is wild. <laughs> I, I liked it, but it, it was sort of uh, messy, I guess, in a way that was both kind of fun and frustrating. It was messy in the same way that the like boat destruction scene was like this. This is this is over. This is out of hand. Like this did not need to happen. And yet we wanted to like show the goofiest, funniest thing we could in this in this scene. And it's yeah, that part rock poor though. lady that luck too exploding. Really yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. It was that the same. Was it the same thing stuck underneath? It was just pieces of the boat at the end that were keeping the cop that's what i thought when the guy the like repair at the at the weight stop says there's a bunch of shit tied up i was like it's got to be the rope from the anchor or like right? the anchor yeah 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 anyway uh then i'll maybe i'll do like the reverse version of the same squeaking sound effect uh look forward to it in a few episodes but for right now harry you and i have something to intro uh and it's the final segment of our show yes it is the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's noties. 
Wow. Thank you, gentlemen, for that uh, that introduction from Down Under. Um, folks, we're going to play some Try Love Feud, but this time, this time we're going to do it right. Before I explain further, I'll just note that Trivia Mafia rules are in effect for the rest of this segment, which means you got to use your noodles and not your Googles to find the answers you seek. You have been warned. Wouldn't want anybody to get DQ'd. I don't mean Dairy Queen. I mean disqualified. God damn uh, it. Short I was you meant Dairy Queen. Dilly bars uh, for th- for the winner is um, something I will not pledge. Uh, I will just eat them all myself. Uh, the shorthand is that this version uh, of Try Love Feud will more directly embody the spirit of the Family Feud format. What I have for you gentlemen are five prompts. Each of you will be asked these prompts one person at a time while the other two contestants are on mute and with their headphones off or deafened or, or whatever the case might be. Um, like yeah for if so if you haven't gone yet you'll take your headphones off um no lip reading no listening to to what the other person is is putting forth uh for each prompt you will provide a guess for what you believe is a most likely answer to that thing uh every guess comes with i mean i say like you know a 10 second window but if if you take too long i'm just gonna say tough shit and skip to the next one you know we're on, we're on a tight schedule here you know fellas um you know we we got a we got a podcast coming up in the lineup right after this. We got to remain in our time slot. Uh, and at the end, we'll tally up points based on where your guesses rank on the list of valid answers uh, for each prompt, which will make more sense once we get to that part. But the order for this game will be Aaron, then Harry, then Jason. Um, see if you can figure out how I landed on that. Um, so we'll start with Aaron, and I'll signal to y'all when it's time to switch to to the next person um it'll be made very clear uh once we're ready for that uh any questions before we jump in how did you uh land on the order of contestants uh yeah it was um uh, i went by pee pee poo poo order oh good, okay good question classic yeah good i, I should i should have known yeah yeah um so i'm gonna leave my headphones on the other two are gonna take those off Yep, yep. So you'll put yours on. Uh, yeah, Harry and Jason will. Yeah, take right. theirs off. Um, if yeah, I answer, microphone. do I have to take mine off then afterwards? Uh, I think I think if you answer, you can leave yours on, but just stay on mute and you know remain like poker faced. Um, can you? You know, it's, like, it's in your best interest to, us, to do that. I'll give, give a, a thumbs, thumbs up. Oh, and okay. then, yes, I'll yeah. Or, I, I, yeah. I, I I pulled um I guess full disclosure. <laughs> I pulled um pictures uh, of y'all from Facebook <laughs> from like 2015. Um, oh, one no. for each hair. It was just for Harry and Jason. Aaron, since oh, you're first, I didn't bother. Yeah. Uh, also, you don't even have Facebook. Also, wasn't right? on Facebook then. Difficult. That's right. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it'll be made very clear when we're ready for for the next one okay. with y'all. Um, but yeah, yeah, Aaron's uh, up first. So yeah, if the other two gentlemen, yeah, go ahead and, and disrobe. Um, yep. Do that. You I believe both that I can't hear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Michael Mann is uh, a hack, overrated, um, extremely. Oh so Harry raises eyebrows. I don't think he's listening. Okay. Kurosawa. Just, just can you fucking Stu- yeah. I, I haven't said this. But Studio Ghibli films are just fucking awful. I, I, all of them are bad. I mean, my neighbor away is like is bottom tier dog shit. It's... Oh my god! No, I'm yeah. sorry. Continue. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, honestly, Harry knows. Harry knows. knows. I can tell yeah, he knows. He, I can tell <laughs> yeah, he's pretending like bastard. he doesn't know. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> he's pretending like. He... Turn right now. Uh, okay, yeah. no, no. What's okay. that? What's that? Uh, all right. So, so for, first prompt uh, number one, uh, can you please give me the highest grossing Jamie Lee Curtis film? The highest grossing film that Jamie Lee Curtis is in. Or, you know, oh, I don't. I don't have any sort of. Uh, I, I've got no fucking idea. Oh, uh, yeah, just whatever you whatever you think it is. 
Uh, or, you know, hey, if you can't think of the highest grossing, think of a movie she's in and go with that. And we'll move on. Man. Um, uh, a, couple more, a couple more seconds. Halloween. Kills. Uh, and, and just, uh, just, um, is she in that one? oh, yeah, yes, she is. All right. Ha- <laughs> Halloween, Halloween All right. kills. All right. All right. Man. All right. I got, I got that down. I'm going All right. You. No. <laughs> oh no no uh aaron we'll go through all five of yours and then we'll and then oh we'll yes go okay to the, continue yep yeah. yep yeah perfect perfect all right so number two um the next prompt the highest grossing horror Jesus movie franchise Christ. highest grossing horror movie franchise this is the last um, one about box office so the franchise uh, that has made the most money is a horror let me think film. halloween nightmare on elm street saw um how i think i thought i saw a tweet about this the other day it was Saw versus Halloween, and Halloween was higher. But uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I'm gonna go. Does Alien count? Does Does the Alien Extended Universe count as part of Alien for this, or are we just talking? I'm gonna go uh, right. Halloween. I'm gonna go Halloween. All right, here Aaron's going Halloween. Yeah. And all right, prompt number three: the most popular horror film on Letterboxd. Going by Letterboxd popularity, the most popular um, horror film. The Shining, Psycho, uh, Alien could be up there. Um, I'm going to go with the. Uh, does Jaws count as a horror? The How tick, are you? Tick, 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 tick. tick uh, I'm going to go with Shining. Okay. All right. The Shining is locked in, etched in concrete. Uh, yeah, sorry. I will be able to provide minimal feedback for, yeah, for that's these. Fine. That's um, fine. That's fine. But it'll all come out in the wash in a good way. Um, number four. Yeah. Yeah. The most listened to trial of episode on SoundCloud. The most listened to uh, trial of episode on uh, SoundCloud. Akira, maybe. All right. We're going Akira. And last one, uh, the most popular name for male babies during the 1990s. John. Oh, sorry, you cut out there. What'd you say? John. Oh, John. Okay. All right. We got, we got those locked in. Um, all right. I'm going to signal, uh, to the fellas that, um, the next Aaron, you can go on mute and, I'm signaling to Harry with a picture of him, the embarrassing picture from the Christmas party. No, it's from 2015. And Harry can come off mute. I believe you have him muted, or he doesn't know that he is muted. I'm, yeah. I'm back. Yeah. No, I'm There I'm we here. go. There we go. Welcome, Harry. So Aaron just laid out his guesses to five prompts. I will give you the same five prompts. Should I be here? Jason put it. Nope, you should not. Uh, I put up a picture of Harry, not a picture of Jason Daphnis. What a silly goose. Um, all right, so Harry, your first prompt is the highest grossing Jamie Lee Curtis film. The oh, highest wow. grossing film that Jamie Lee Curtis has been in. Fuck. Uh, man. Oh, shit. Uh... And keeping in mind, timing of the essence. Try to keep it to a 10-second window. Otherwise, Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm going to get mad. It's okay. Aaron went ha- over for like, Halloween all of them, so ends. Maybe I didn't, those movies were not well received, but they probably made a bunch of money. All right, we're going with Halloween ends. I'm locking it. Oh wait, in. no, I'm sorry, not Halloween ends. Halloween kills. That's the one before. Halloween this kills. Last one. Yeah. All right, Hall- yeah, Halloween kills. All right, locking it in. Um, perfect. Okay, second prompt: the 
highest grossing horror movie franchise. The highest grossing horror movie franchise. Oh man. Oh wow. Uh, it's probably one I'll never think of. Um, shit. Uh, I'll just go with, um, Friday the 13th. All right. Friday the 13th. It's definitely not that. It's, hey, we'll find out. It's probably in Halloween. Due time. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we'll, well, we'll find out in due time. Uh, and then prompt number three, the most popular horror film on Letterboxd. The most popular film with a horror-flagged genre on Letterboxd. <sighs> I wonder if Parasite... <laughs> um, I, uh, I'll guess Parasite. Why not? All right, Harry is going. It's not really a horror with, movie, but Letterbox likes to do that. They do. Parasite, black and white. Trilev feud makes me feel all right. Prompt number four, the most listened to Trilev episode on SoundCloud. Oh, shit. Um, wow. It's <sighs> fucking it's damnation. No, it's not. Um, I'll go with, uh, wait, isn't it like, it's a weird one. It's like, isn't Sanjuro very listened to? I, I don't think it's Sanjuro. I'm going to go with uh, Indiana Jones. Harry is going with Indiana Jones. And the last prompt, uh, the most popular name for male babies during the 1990s. Oh, wow. Uh, is it Jamie? <laughs> no, it's not Jamie. Uh, I'll go with um, uh, Kyle. <laughs> I know a lot of Kyles. Kyle's. That's probably Minnesota yeah. biased, but you know. Yeah, shout out to former guest uh, Kyle Olson. Um, well, great. That's that is uh, that is the fifth and All final right. prompt. Thanks, I will now Cody. get out. Yeah, hey, thank you. And I will now get out the the Jason Daphnis flag and I'll wave it. Um, do ba do dutifully. I He's can keep listening, though, right? I just can't. Talk. Yeah, yeah. All you right. and Aaron can keep listening. I um, just that be on mute. Uh, if uh, cha ching. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe uh, Aaron and Harry keep your poker faces on as we get. These um, these five guesses from Jason. Uh, Jason, I'm going to give you five prompts that uh, Aaron and Harry have both all been asked and provided answers to. And the first prompt is as follows. Uh, can I please get the highest grossing film that Jamie Lee Curtis has been in? Uh, Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills. All right. Locking it in. The second prompt, uh, the highest grossing horror movie franchise. Um, oh, I feel like I've heard this one before. Friday the 13th. No, wait. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nothing could stop that thing. Nightmare on Elm Street. Etched in a slab of concrete. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Third prompt, the most popular horror film as uh, deemed by Letterboxd popularity. So the most popular film with a horror genre tag. Hmm. When did you pull this? Yesterday. Hmm. I pulled it five fucking years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. I'll go. I'll go. Alien. All right, Jason is going. Alien. That was not much of a poker uh, phrase, Aaron. I saw you do the. the kid yeah, he's the a, he's thing. embodying uh, that that new <laughs> that new horror movie smile. I was um, going to so say just smiling hey, at can, everything. Can we, can we all get a get a quick a uh, quick smile for smile? No, because it's a podcast. Smile and A, they call them. Smile and A. Uh, yeah. Um, smile and A, smile and H, smile and J, and 
uh, stern Cody because we've got two more prompts to get through. The fourth prompt, uh, the most listened to trial of episode on SoundCloud. Oh, Jesus, I should know this. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to go alien again. I don't think that's right, but I'm going to. No, 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 no. Yeah, whatever. Sure. Alien. All right. Going to alien. Um, you're like that, uh, you'll be like that guy in Family Feud. Um, oh God, it's random. I know, I know we've got a schedule to keep. My dad and I joke about it all the time. This dude on Family Feud who answered turkey for three straight questions. Um, there's like, oh, it's something you get at the supermarket. <laughs> uh, a turkey. Uh, oh, it's something you, uh, you bring to the beach. Uh, and he panicked and was just like, uh, a turkey. <laughs> and I forget what the other one was. Um, shout out to that guy and shout out to, uh, the fifth and final prompt, which is the most popular name for male babies during the 1990s. Can I get your guess for that? Can you repeat the question? <clears throat> the most popular name for male babies during the 1990s. Jason. You narcissistic son of a gun. All right. All righty. Um, okay. Well, everybody's already got their their earbuds and headphones in and or on. Okay. Um, so we'll bring everybody back into the fold. Thank you for issuing those guesses. Um, I'm going to go through the the prompts and uh i haven't fully thought out how i'm gonna re reveal these um but i'll just say it will we'll take prompt number one the highest grossing jamie lee curtis film um everybody said halloween kills uh, and everybody come everybody comes away with zero points for that question um number one number one is true lies problem. yeah true okay lies. yeah yeah uh <sighs> knives out knives out number two um Oh, fuck it. I'll go through all these because they're, they're funny. I probably won't do this for all of them. Um, number three, Halloween 2018. Number two, uh, or actually number three, number four, which would have been two points, Freaky Friday. And the last, uh, the fifth, fifth highest film, uh, going by box office gross that Jamie Lee Curtis has been in is 2008's Beverly Hills Chihuahua. So there's that. <laughs> We shouldn't have doubted so the that. god James Cameron. You know, we shouldn't have, we, we, we doubted him down. and look where it brought us to ruin. It, yeah, nowhere good. That's for damn sure. Um, highest grossing horror movie franchise. Uh, Aaron uh, had the Halloween franchise. Harry went with the Friday the 13th franchise. Oh, Jason went with Nightmare on Elm Street. Interesting. Um, everybody came away with zero points. And number one number one is the Conjuring franchise, which Shut has somehow up. made what? so so much fucking money. Um, there are like a lot a of lot movies that franchise now. And the first one was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I like the first one. Um so so everybody's all tied up. Still not very much anybody's game. Uh number 3, the third prompt uh, was the most popular horror film on Letterboxd. Uh Aaron guessed The Shining, Harry guessed Parasite, Jason guessed Alien. Uh the lone person coming away with points for this one is Aaron uh <sighs> with The Shining, which was uh number 3 on the list. So 3 Expected points. Expected to be wrong about that Aaron. one. Yeah, um, I guess I'll read all those because they're quick. Uh, Midsummer, Get Out, The Shining, The Lighthouse, and Black Swan. Those are your top five horror films esteemed by Letterboxd. Black Swan? Yeah. All right, Black man. Black Swan. All right. Yeah. It's, hey, listen. Letterbox is basic I, as Best hell, picture dude. nominated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, best actress in that movie as well. Um, there's a lot to consider with that. Uh, but we're moving on to prompt number four. Uh, much, I, I, less, you know, more straightforward, less, um, you know, less conflict, uh, inciting, but the most listened to trial of episode on SoundCloud. Um, Aaron's guest was Akira. Harry's guest was the Indiana Jones non lawn boys picky. And Jason's guest was a turkey. No, alien, uh, was Jason's guest. Uh, 
nobody came away with points uh, for this one. Uh, and I, uh, fucking, I'll read through these as well. Number one, uh, Valley Girl, with ah. 356 listens. Uh, yeah. Then going down the line, Yojimbo, the John Moret conversation, Koyana Scotsi, and then Sanjuro at number five. Akira was closest. Um, oh. I, I think uh, Ak- Akira was. Toss me a point. No, you already have a point. You, you have three points. Have three points. Three points. I know. Um, toss me another fucking point. I'm trying to yeah. win. Throw me a freaking bone here. Uh, and then the last prompt: the most popular name for male babies during the 1990s. Uh, Aaron, I went with John, which I just uh, uh, brought out to Jonathan because it didn't matter because it wasn't on the list. Uh, Kyle and Jason were the two guesses for Harry and Jason, respectively. Those were not on the list. Um, Michael, Christopher, Matthew, Joshua, and Jacob are the top five. So there be that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amen. And uh, our man is Aaron, at least for today uh, or this week, because he, he won the game. Three points. Shout out to The Shining for uh, ushering Aaron to victory. Um, I guess you know, thank you for playing Try Love Feud Redux. Aaron, this is now the space where I guess you get to pop off as, as we've been doing lately. Uh- so feel free to do that. Yeah, given the fact that I have a cold and probably shouldn't be talking for for too long, uh, kind of consecutively, I will just uh, instead record me shit talking that will then be put over next episode shit talker uh, over their speech. Uh, so kind of just be prepared for that later, people. Um, I think I already. But, yeah, yeah, I think you already sent me that though. I think it. I just have like six of those all queued up at any time. Don't worry about it. Well, maybe you should produce the podcast next time. Thank you so much for listening to Trilove. Uh, it's a little bit of a podcast. We had a lot of fun recording this one. Uh, check out Road Games. It's on Tubi. It was on Criterion Collection. It's in a few different places. You can check it out. Uh, you can't see it at the Trilon anymore, though. Womp womp. Uh, but you can check out a lot of other cool movies at the Trilon starting. Oh, geez. They started playing trailers for the Into the 21st Century Dystopia series, which, my goodness, it is weird to see so many movies from the 2010s on display at the Trilon at once. But... They should all be really fun times. Some of my favorite movies are going to be playing as part of that series in January. So uh, go to Triland.org to find tickets for those. Pick a showing that works for you. Hey, and uh, reach out to us on Twitter or through email, trilovepodcast at gmail.com or at trilovepodcast on Twitter. We usually see those messages and we often like having new voices on the podcast. So check us out further than you already have by listening to an episode of a fairly obscure 1981 horror, thriller, drama, psych, thriller... My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Agreed. Uh, very fun and very jarring to s- go to the Trilon and in front of Road Games see the trailer, the great trailer for Mad God, and then the trailer for the 2014 A24 or A24, excuse me, release, The Rover. Mm-hmm. Um, it, jarring um, in cool, fun ways, um, but I'm looking forward to that slate, uh, and I'm looking forward to rewatching Road Games at some point down the road, um, aka Code Games. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I have been and remain Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. A dog is a parasite hybrid. I mean, he chases cars... He barks at shadows and eats his own feces. But a dingo, a dingo's clean. He's intelligent. He's quiet. In fact, he's physically incapable of barking. That's why they call him the silent dog. He's an aristocrat. Like me.